we're growing soil more than we're growing plants is basically what we like to say because if your soil is happy then whatever it is that's growing in it is going to be happy. The whole chicken and the egg situation with the city. The city saying you need to have your your license from the state in order to get the business license. The state is saying you need the business license to get the license from the state. Why? It's just growing a weed. <laughs> Anybody can do it. Yeah. <laughs> This is Growing Forward, a collaborative podcast between New Mexico PBS and New Mexico Political Report. I'm Megan Kamrick, a New Mexico PBS correspondent and news director at KUNM-FM. I'm Andy Lyman with New Mexico Political Report, and today, true to the name of the podcast, we're talking growing, both for personal use and on a professional level. Now that cannabis is legal, many people are probably considering adding cannabis to their gardens next year. Others have been growing cannabis at home for a while and are probably getting ready to harvest their crops since it's officially fall and we're headed into what many growers refer to as Croptober. Today we got some help from a familiar voice to New Mexico PBS viewers. Correspondent Gwyneth Dolan visited with a local culinary celebrity to learn more about growing cannabis at home. A new law in New Mexico that took effect on June 29th allows people 21 and older to possess and grow recreational marijuana. Regulators are working on a system of rules that will allow pot to be sold in small stores, but those stores won't open until next spring. So between now and then, the only way to enjoy it will be to grow it yourself. Well, how does that work? New Mexico has had a medical cannabis program since 2007. People with certain conditions have been able to buy pot at dispensaries and legally grow it at home for 14 years now. Dave DeWitt is one of those patients. He's best known for producing the National Fiery Food and Barbecue Show here in Albuquerque. But DeWitt has published dozens of books on food and gardening, including one on growing medical marijuana. Dave and I are old friends. I used to edit a magazine that he published, and I know that he's an avid gardener and pot smoker. So I called him up and asked him if he could show me how he grows cannabis. All right, Dave, tell me, what are we, what are we looking at here? We're looking at my six legal marijuana plants, uh, cannabis as the state calls them, uh, which is the genus name. Cannabis indica and cannabis sativa, and then there's hybrids between them. These are uh, a hybrid called Dream Kush. And the, the male I showed you was uh, Sonic Boom. Ah. And these are uh, what would be called plant varieties, but they call them strains in the marijuana business. Why, I don't know. Actually, he has seven plants, but it doesn't really matter because the new law upped the limits. So with his wife, Mary Jane, yes, that's really her name, they can legally keep up to 12 plants. So why do you grow it? Oh, I, I just grow it because it's fun, um, and I get, you know, I don't have to pay um, a dispensary for for it, but there's no possible way I could I could smoke everything that I grow. It's, you know, I would be stoned um, 24 hours a day. Dave covers storing your harvest in Chapter 8 of his book. He keeps his stash in never-been-used paint cans. In the garden, he has half a dozen tomato plants in a raised bed, and the weed plants You've got them in big, um, 
you know, sort of planter tubs out here. Right. Uh, I find that uh, if you try to put them in, in the regular garden, they get so tall and so wide that they shade the other plants. And these will be by far the biggest plants that I'm, I'm growing. And so they're dominant and they would shade the tomatoes and prevent them from, you know, getting as much fruit on them as they could. He bought these seeds at a local dispensary where he was irked to pay several dollars for each. Even though he wrote a 180-page book about it, Dave says growing marijuana isn't hard. It's not a difficult procedure. I mean, put a seed in a pot, you know. It's a domesticated weed, but it's still a weed. For years, he's had a license to grow marijuana as a patient, but mostly Dave just likes to smoke a joint and unwind, like a lot of people. Growing inside can be much more efficient, but Dave doesn't want to deal with the hassle of all the lights and equipment. He prefers just to keep a few plants next to his tomatoes, and he's low-key about it. He has a soaker hose draped across the pots, so all he has to do is turn on a faucet every few days. But it's simple to grow outside, especially in Albuquerque with its hot, sunny summers. In writing his book, Growing Medical Marijuana Securely and Legally, he got a little help from a friend. Well... What I did was I, I have a friend who had, had never grown anything in his life. He got a license to grow marijuana but didn't know how. And so I advised him on how to do it, and I used that as the, as the theme of the book. In other words, here's a guy who's never grown anything in his life. He's 50 years old, and he's going to start growing marijuana. How is he going to do it? And I related things like his uh, frantic call to me, uh, there's something infecting my plants, come down and take it a look. And it was uh, spider mites, that's what it was. And you can't do anything with spider mites. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going you're gonna to spread uh, uh, insecticide all over them and then smoke the dope after that? No, you're not. Aside from the dreaded spider mites, Dave's friend had some of the same questions that many first-time growers might have. He didn't exactly know uh, when to harvest that's a hard thing to do because um, you don't want the flowers to get so heavy in clumps that the, the branches start breaking. And you don't want to harvest too soon. Otherwise, they might not reach the full amount of THC that they would, they would get. The book includes a checklist explaining when exactly it's okay to harvest. If the pistols begin turning color, the trichomes change from transparent to milky white, the calyxes begin to swell. Don't worry, in simple language, he explains what all those terms mean. And there's pictures. There weren't any four-color books like this when Dave first started growing his own supply decades ago. He says it's sometimes hard to believe how much has changed in one generation. I've been a fan of legalization since, since I started using it when I was um, in my late 20s. Um, but um, I never thought it would happen. <laughs> never say never. Things, things can change quickly. You can, you can uh, brew your own beer and you can grow your own dope and it's like a little slice of heaven. I'm sure many others who grow cannabis at home would probably agree with DeWitt's sentiment that it is a slice of heaven. But those trying to break into this new industry are probably also getting a taste of the bureaucracy involved with getting a license to grow, manufacture, and sell cannabis. 
Listeners may remember a previous episode when we spoke to Matt Munoz and Erica Hartwick-Brown with Carver Family Farm. They, along with a third partner, Andrew Brown, who is Erica's husband, now have a building and are in the process of getting a license so they can get plants in the ground. But as we found out, despite all the best intentions to open up this new industry to everyone, there seems to be some bureaucratic roadblocks for would-be entrepreneurs. Megan and I recently got a sneak peek at the Carver Family Farm facility, which was basically just an empty building since they haven't been licensed to grow yet. Let's start in the back, because this is kind of the nice thing about this. this You guys want to get the door when you... Actually, we may not be able to start in the back because we have our legs, our... uh, We're moving some stuff out, so. Matt and Erica showed us the different rooms that the cannabis will move through during the various stages of production. She explained that the first stage is known as vegetative. For gardeners, this is simply the growth stage. After that is the flowering stage, which simply means the plant starts to sprout buds, which ultimately become the part of the plant most commonly smoked. When the plants come in here, they will still be in veg, but then the light cycle is what tells we we switch the light cycle to tell the plants okay now it's time for you guys to start putting on flowers and that's when it turns into the once it starts putting on the flowers is when it starts becoming a flowering plant for indoor grows like what carver family farm plans to do growers are able to manipulate the lighting in order to sort of trick the plants into a longer vegetative state which in theory means bigger plants after the plant has fully grown the buds erica explained The next steps are drying, trimming, and curing. I will be the trainer, the trimmer trainer. Um, Basically, once the um, plant has been hung and dried and cured to a place where it's safe to handle the buds, um, we'll what we call buck them off of the stems. And and they still have, when we, I'm sorry, I'll back up a little bit. When we cut the plants down, we take all the big fan leaves away. And then we leave like what's called the sugar leaves. When you look at the branch, you'll see that it still has the trichromes and all of the sugary, frosty stuff on there. We leave that on for the drying and curing process. And then once it's gone through that, it comes in here and our trimmers will take them off of the branches. And then from there, um, take each one of the buds and trim the tips of the sugar leaves off to make it a really nice appearing, Um, finished product and the thing about sugar leaves is that a lot of people will say oh leave that on there they're great they're great well it actually adds a harshness to the smoke and we want to be able to have all the flavor all of the wonders of a good smoke and we use those sugar leaves and we'll they'll go back down to the kitchen and we'll use a um, ice water extraction method basically to get the the good stuff off of them and turn them into candies. So at no point are we wasting any of this plant. So the flowers are, we want a nice looking bud because that's partially what will go in a dispensary, but in addition to creating things like candies. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. It may sound like the drying and curing process that Erica just mentioned. It's pretty straightforward, but she and her husband, Andrew, explained that it's not so simple. Our preference is to actually um, trim dry the curing process, allowing the bud to cure. Andrew, please. My, so my husband slash our business partner and the chief cultivation officer is here standing next to us, listening in. He's lurking. In He's lurking. He, um, 
but he also will quickly give me a look if I'm not saying the exact right thing, which is great because my, my um, background is doing the dry trim, which as it goes through the curing and it still has the sugar leaves on it, it really allows it to slowly dry um, and, and get a, it, it holds the moisture just perfectly. If you wet trim, you're um, actually taking it before it goes through the dry process and trimming off those same sugar leaves that I was talking about, but it doesn't, and then you put it into dry, and then it doesn't give it the same atmosphere. Would you say that, Andrew? It usually ends up drying quicker, and the quicker you dry cannabis, the more chlorophyll actually stays in the plant. Mm -hmm. Chlorophyll is a harsh on the smoke. Mm -hmm. So you can have the best harvest in the world and ruin it in the drying process. And so, it's so dry here, like just naturally no humidity and hot, you actually have to add humidifiers to your dry room and air conditioners to get the, the conditions proper. For a slower dry. Right, and the whole wet versus dry is a completely, some people leave all of the fan leaves on, some people take those off, some people leave the sugar leaves, some people trim wet. Um, the research I've done, most of you'll get a better retention of the terpenes and the flavor molecules by doing a, a long, taking the fan leaves off and having that type of cure. Interesting. Well, this is very complicated. <laughs> what? It's just growing a weed. <laughs> Anybody can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody can? Doesn't mean it'll be good, we'll, though, But right? we'll be happy to show them how to, too. <laughs> The final step of commercial cannabis sales is, of course, where the final packaged and tested product reaches the customer, or in some cases the patient. As Matt shows us, their building will also have retail in addition to spaces for production. And then this is going to be the dispensary side of the operation. And so customers will enter in this door, exit out the other exit door on the other side, we'll have the, the product here and this is the office employee break room can you remind us if micro producers are going to be required to retain that 25 percent for the first year so you will have to do that so everybody is required to retain 25 percent for medical patients so what does that look like we were just talking about this so let's say you open you're really popular you sell out of all your recreational cannabis and you've but you have to say i'm sorry unless you're a medical patient right this minute so can't have it. <laughs> I actually think with how many medical patients we have in the state that it's it's we will easily sell our 25% along with the with the 75% for recreational sales. And so I don't think that's going to be an issue. Practically, how does it work? Do you have different entrances? Do you have a different counter for patients or is it just you show your card, you get your tax uh, taken off basically? Right? Basically, yeah, that's that's what my and some of this is we have to wait for the results of this lawsuit cuz if we have to keep track of units, that's a whole other thing. But if everybody's, if medical patients are now allowed to buy two ounces of cannabis at a time, you know, it's, there's no tracking of the units anymore. It's basically show your card. The lawsuit Matt is referring to there is a pending case where a medical cannabis patient is challenging purchase limits. The issue goes back to the medical cannabis program, which was previously run by the Department of Health. Pretty much since the start, medical cannabis patients were allowed to purchase what amounts to eight ounces of cannabis in a rolling 90-day period. 
That may seem like a lot until you consider that come next April, adults 21 and older will be able to purchase up to two ounces at a time with no purchase limits. That means in five trips to a dispensary, someone could exceed that patient limit. So are patients still limited to their eight ounces? In a practical sense, yes. The judge in that lawsuit ruled that patients should be able to purchase the same amount as anyone else will be allowed next year when retail sales begin. But the state now has a chance to make an argument against that in a hearing scheduled for November. But another big issue tied to this is tax. Part of the new Cannabis Regulation Act is a provision that makes medical cannabis tax-free, whereas non-medical cannabis will be charged gross receipts taxes as well as a cannabis excise tax. The stance regulators are essentially taking is that if a medical cannabis patient wants to buy more than their limit once retail sales begin next year, they can buy non-medical cannabis and pay those taxes. I know I keep saying this, but this is all just so complicated. Adding to all of that is the process Carver Family Farm, and I'm guessing others, have to go through to start growing. Remember, one issue that came up almost immediately after rules and regulations were proposed is that the state regulation and licensing department requires would-be producers to basically have everything in order before they get approved. That means applicants have to show they have a secured building, water, and local approval. But these applicants soon learned that local approval required full approval from regulation and licensing, creating this chicken and egg situation. RLD Superintendent Linda Trujillo previously told us that she recognized the problem and that the department would issue a provisional letter for applicants to show local agencies that local approval is the last piece. But from the sounds of things, that letter may not be enough. Okay, so the last time that we talked to you and Erica, Matt, or Erica, the last time we talked to both of you two, you were just getting into the process of it, and I know that we've been sort of addressing this through podcasts and my writing that uh, I think when we first talked to you, you were concerned about having to get everything in order to get your license. And Linda Trujillo, Superintendent Linda Trujillo even called it a merry-go-round of you know trying to get caught in this loop. Where do you stand now as far as licensing goes? So the only thing we're missing is the information we need from the city of Albuquerque. And so that's our business license and that's our fire inspection. And those are the only two pieces that we need to actually send into RLD to have our, our full license. We requested a provisional because we knew we didn't have those documents. Um, and the background check too. So that's an interesting thing. I don't know if you guys have picked up on that, but you basically have to certify that you'll submit to a background check as opposed to submitting your background check because they still don't have the ORI code, which is organization requesting information that the, the FBI actually sets up. So this is an RLD's issue. This is federally they have to set up this code, and the FBI has a backlog. So, yeah, we, we submitted a letter to them saying we're missing these three documents because the background check was a, you know, I will certify, so that's on them. But that at the time we were missing the letter from the water authority, which we have now. And so now we're just missing the fire inspection and the business license. So we sent them a letter saying we didn't have these three things. Please give us a provisional. They said, thank you for the letter. And that's the last we heard from them. And it's been, what, the 28th is when we applied, the first day that it was open, August 28th. So almost a month. Uh, two yeah. weeks, okay. two and a half weeks. And so not even a response like, we'll get it to you soon, or just Thank no. you for your submission. So we got, yeah, we got a UR number, whatever, 
the number was of submissions for that day. So we did get a, we received your, your application. Does this hold up what you can do? Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> so right now you're, pay, you're paying rent on a building that you can't do anything with. Is that right? That is absolutely correct. And so we are going to be paying rent on a building that we can't sell product or anything else for the until April of next year. And so that's, that's the, eight months of rent that we kind of had to plan for. And we can't plant a plant until that's this is the big thing is because we don't have our city business license that and they're saying that when Matt called them and said, hey, I need this in order for us to submit our application, they said, we're not going to give that to you until April 1st of next year when it's legal for you to actually grow. And we said, actually, no, that's when it's legal for us to sell, not for us to grow. And so we were told by the CCD that we could grow and not sell until the first and that we could potentially wholesale once we had our license to the existing organizations the LNPPs so that they could you know alleviate the shortage for the for the patients and so right now we're caught in this loop where the city won't give us a license and we can't get our or we can't get our actual growing license until the city give us gives us our license so we're going round and round with that which is exactly what Superintendent Trujillo sort of mentioned when she was yeah. going to give these provisional letters, right? It's a whole chicken and the egg situation with the city. The city saying you need to have your, your license from the state in order to get the business license. The state is saying you need the business license to get the license from the state. So. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what resolution do you see coming, maybe? I'm hoping that, you know, through platforms such as this, um, more of the people that are actually going to be applying and are still pulling all of their information together and possibly don't even know that this is an issue yet, will realize that this is an issue and speak up and say, hey guys, this doesn't make sense for us. How are we going to start paying our bills? I mean, if, if what we're really trying to do here is alleviate the shortage, get this program running as fast as possible, which is what the governor asked us to do, um, you know, this stopgap needs to, needs to be fixed. Well, plus, how are you, if you couldn't grow until April, you open your doors with no product. Correct. Right? Correct. Okay. And, I've, I mean, we're wondering because our business plan, when we've, as we came together, the three of us, and decided, okay, what do we want to do here? Part of Carver Family Farm, part of what Andrew and I have built throughout the years together with um, Carver B and Andrew Brown Glass is a is a you know decade long business of we sell glass work to with um, functional glass with pipes and things like that. So could we bring our glass business here to start showing people where our where our location is and start building our um, base basically? And also we can do merchandise. We can also we also have these amazing cactuses that we can't wait to show you guys. Um, and so that would require getting an agricultural license on the side and that sort of thing. And, and we're really kind of worried about if the city sees us trying to open our doors before they say we're allowed, that we're trying to go around them or something. And that's not what we're trying to do at all. We just want to start bringing in some money so we can pay our rent, <laughs> you know. And because you had to have a 
you had to have a building secured, right? That's under, let's remind folks, that's part of the provisions in the state law. You had to have a leased or owned building, and the lease had to specify that you had permission to have a cannabis operation in the building. And so the lease had to be very specific, so I hope everybody that signed a lease made sure that la- that language is in the lease that they sent RLD, because... It could cause some some issues. The building Matt, Erica, and Andrew secured for operations was previously used for CBD manufacturing. One might think that the previous tenants would have made things easier for Carver Family Farm, but Andrew told us it actually made things more difficult with the landlord. It was a big issue. The people here before left this place trashed. And so it, was, it took a lot of convincing to tell him that we are not going to trash it. We respect it. We had to bring up our, our past business and you know, how respectful we've been in those situations and our professionalism. And it, it was about a month of negotiations to convince him that cannabis is okay because he had cannabis here. And that was very unfortunate. The people basically left in the middle of the night and didn't tell him. And so we kind of, we are actually paying more money to make sure he's up like, as insurance to him. So it actually is costing us more because it's cannabis. One thing I've heard about for years is that many times cannabis companies will get creative with their business descriptions. We've also heard from those in the banking industry that sometimes cannabis businesses will tell their financial institution they are in the flower business or just simply agriculture. Andrew told us that they fully realize how quickly they could get approved on the city level if they too get creative with their description. If we set up a shell company like is the current standard operating procedures, we would have a business license and we would be able to move forward. We are not trying to do that. We are doing everything above board. And so we are a cannabis cannabis business. Why would we not check that box? We cannot sell until this date. We can grow once. Like, there's laws in place. Why would we say we're not something that we are? And so basically what's been happening is people set up shell companies that manage these cannabis companies so actually that's a shell company and that's not what we're trying to do we're trying to do this yeah we're trying to do this right and legitimize the industry because i think that's important for new mexico is that they that we get this right that the people involved do it right and that people see that this is a legitimate business and it's not it's not some black market issue that's suddenly you know a place to make a lot of money and it's it's a legitimate business Since we recorded this interview in mid-September, we got an update from Carver Family Farm on their licensing process. Matt texted me last week and said they still haven't heard back from RLD, but that the city of Albuquerque said it would issue the company a business license after an industrial hygienist certifies that there are carbon filters that would adequately reduce the odor of cannabis. But that doesn't mean they'll be ready to grow quite yet. They'll still need to complete their application with RLD and wait on its approval. Andy, this whole thing about odor is interesting. Is this yet another issue that's coming up with county and local governments as people try to establish these new businesses around the state? I haven't followed specific municipalities around the state, but I know that Albuquerque did add something into their zoning law that said you have to mitigate smell somehow. Now, there was questions raised in the city council meeting. What does that mean? How do you mitigate the smell? I also personally have questions 
I don't know how you eliminate a smell completely. I don't know how that works, how you measure smells. It's beyond my my pay grade. I don't quite understand the science well, of odors. Yeah, everybody has different tolerances, or right? Because my husband, I continually think that <laughs> I smell cannabis in various places, and he said, I don't know what you're talking about. So what is the standard? What's it based on? It does seem, I guess, without understanding the exact science, to me, it does seem somewhat subjective. I, I re, I'm remembering uh, when the city years ago put in this uh, smoking ban, um, and I think the, the specific law said didn't have a, a, a distance from the front door. It just said you can't be close enough for the smoke to get inside the building. Well, I mean, everybody has their own level of sensitivity when it comes to smell, so I don't know how you measure that, really. And so these folks, the Carver family farm folks, I mean, gosh, they're really dealing with a lot of hurdles just trying to get open. I would imagine that a, a lot of people are going to sort of come to terms with how hard it is to get in, even for micro businesses. The state obviously has lowered the threshold for what it costs to get in for a micro business, but there's no exemptions for things like city zoning, uh, where you can put a building money. We talked about this a couple episodes ago. How do you get money? How do you get, uh, how do you get funding to do those things? And, and I don't know. I think people are going to have to figure that out. I think it's going to be a slow start. Well, I know this is only, we're just, we've only just talked to this one company. We're following them through the process just to get a sense of what the process is like. But again, it's just one company. So there are, and we know there are other folks out there trying to do this. On all different different levels, I'm guessing too. Um, you know, we haven't even started looking into the retail aspect of this. I'm guessing that there's at least somebody out there that says, "I don't want to grow. I don't want to manufacture. I just want to be able to put cannabis in my storefront." I would expect uh, places like we would consider head shops, uh, pipe shops, places like that that sell T-shirts that maybe they will start selling uh, cannabis as well. But I, I think it's it's such. It, this is sort of a, a good time to, to be following this because it's a brand new industry. I can't think of another time that we've been able to watch a brand new industry start from scratch. And I think it's just going to have to be sort of growing pains as they go along. And, and who knows what this is going to look like April 1st. Well, we'd love to hear more of those stories. So if anyone would like to chime in and let us know what kinds of things you're going through as a startup or as someone trying to enter this business, we'd love to hear them. If you have something to share with us or a tip, please drop us a line at growingforward at nmpbs.org. This was another episode of Growing Forward. If you haven't already, you can subscribe and get the latest episodes as soon as they're released by searching Growing Forward wherever you normally listen to podcasts. Don't forget to leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. Our logo was created by Catherine Conley, and our music is by Christian Bjorkland and Poddington Bear. And an extra special thanks to our producer, Kevin McDonald, for all the hard work he does behind the scenes. Mm-hmm.